Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June, this is for you Brisbane friends. So the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June, an informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July, this is for our Warnable and Great South Coast Take On Board Friends, an event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance, from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track, the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. And a second quick announcement, a shout out to the new Take On Board Kickstarter alumni, Alex Cuthbertson, Anne Wallington, Audrey Umity, Ebony Worth, Emma Bonser, Helen Rizzoli, Julia O'Reilly, Kath Harris, Leah Bramhill, Nisha Amanala, Susan Fitoza and Yaz Volra. What an incredible group of people. I cannot wait to hear about the next steps that you're taking to the boardroom and I have no doubt you're all going to make an amazing contribution. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hi folks. If you're listening to this episode on the day it's released, that is the 7th of April, and if you happen to be in Adelaide and would like to come to the Take On Board Meetup that is on tonight, Get in touch with me as soon as you can, and I will let you know where we're meeting. All of my contact details are in the show notes, so get in touch. We had an awesome time last time, and I would love for you to be there this time. If you're listening to this after the 7th of April, or maybe if you're not in Adelaide, well, you don't have to miss out on meeting others from the Take On Board community. The next Take On Board event is coming up in May. And at this virtual event, so you can come from wherever in the world you are, I'll be in conversation with Morgana Ryan about developing strategy from global to local organisations. Morgana is the Deputy Chair of InfoExchange. She's the Chair of the Strategy Committee. She has decades of experience in corporate and international development. So she is going to have much wisdom to share about strategy. Super early bird tickets are available until the 9th of April, so get in quick. All of the links are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Hi folks, 
And welcome. We will officially kick off to the first Take On Board event for 2021. So thank you all for being here and I know people are continuing to join as we go. I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we variously meet. For me, I am in Thornbury in Melbourne, so that is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I know different people are in different parts of Melbourne and even beyond, so paying respects to traditional owners, whoever they may be, wherever you are, and to elders past, present and emerging. So today we will be hearing from the fabulous Hannah Brown, who for me is there in the, she's waving so you know who she is, uh, about cybersecurity. And we know this is such an important issue, uh, not only an important issue, but also one that not everyone really understands. So Hannah is going to demystify and give us all sorts of practical, wonderful tips that we can take back to our boardrooms or to our workplaces, whatever that might be. Firstly, I know Hannah through, she and I are both, well, we started on the Greenpeace Nominations Committee together, I think three years ago is when we started our time together there. And Hannah is now on the board, which is magnificent. And I should say, a alumni of the Board Kickstarter program and also now on the Board Accelerator program now that she's on the Greenpeace board, which is just fantastic. So she's now chair of the nominations committee. She and I are both on what's called the General Assembly, which is kind of the membership of Greenpeace and you are invited to join committees. And then they are chaired by the board. So she has switched from being a participant to the chair of it as a board member. Enough about that board stuff. Let me tell you about her tech experience. So she's a technology leader and entrepreneur now building her fifth tech company, Midnight City. For 15 years, Hannah has worked on strategic transformation initiatives with startups, scale-ups and innovation, innovative enterprises, helping to build high-performance teams and progressive digital-first human-centric organisations. And don't we need more of them? Uh, her core skills are in technology leadership, organisational development, building high performance culture and influencing for change. Hannah is on the board of Greenpeace, as I said, and chair now of the nominations committee. Uh, she also reports into an advisory board as the managing director of Midnight City. So Hannah is going to take us through how to prepare or prevent a cyber attack, how to protect your privacy and no doubt all sorts of other awesome things. Alrighty, Hannah, over to you. Thanks so much, Helia, and um, I'm super excited to be here, particularly off the back of um, our um, all of the energy and excitement around our cause that happened yesterday. I was also at the march yesterday. Helia called me at about 6.30 last night. She said, oh, I usually call to check in on the, on the speakers for the next day, but I got caught up in the march for justice today. And I was like, oh, I was there too. Woo-hoo! Like, how great is that? So I'm going to talk a little bit about cybersecurity today. Uh, thank you for the great introduction, Helia. And I'd also like to acknowledge um, the traditional owners of the land on which I gather, which in, uh, in uh, Alphington in Melbourne is the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nations and pay my respects to the elders past, the leaders here in the present and, and the future leaders. As Helia said, I'm uh, on the Greenpeace board, which has been very exciting. I've been there for about six months now and already learned a stack, which is great. I also chair the nominations committee, um, which I think is a really crucial um, committee for any board. 
yeah, it's really the future of the organization and the governance of the organization. And my company, Midnight City, is a technology consultancy, the fifth one that I've built. We focus on DevOps. DevOps is a way of delivering uh, software more effectively. So it helps optimize the outcomes and outputs of your technology team. And a lot of the work that we do is about security and agility and resilience in the architecture of the technology that underpins everything that we do. Essentially, here we are meeting today. We're all staring at laptop screens, using the internet and telephone cables to be connected. So that leads really nicely into my first point. So I'm going to run through some key themes today. Let me just run you through what they are. So we're going to talk a little bit about the anatomy of an attack. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the NotPet ear attack and um, the impact that that had on Mausk. But that attack cost Mausk $300 million and it took down the entire organisation. We're talking 80,000 employees, 574 offices in 130 companies and shut down their entire operations for over a week. Never mind all of the goods that were stuck in container ships and dockyards and on ships and that got lost in inventory. But that's going to give us a bit of a sense of how bad things can go when cyber cybersecurity goes wrong. Next, I want to talk a little bit about and we'll give you a, a cheat sheet as to how to start as a director with our fiduciary duties, how we can make sure that our organisation is, is as resilient as is sensible against cyber, cyber attacks. So... My first point though, and I think this is the most important one, if there's nothing else you take away from this today, and I'm happy to be wrong about this too, I might be very wrong in this point, but I don't think I am. I look at governance and I look at, you know, if I zoom out, in the last 10 years, we increased, and you know, thanks to amazing humans like Helia and, and people like her, we've increased the representation of women on ASX 300 boards by something like 20%. It went from about 9% up to about 29% in the last decade. Now, I believe that the next decade will see a similar trend, but it will be technology people moving onto boards. And my first point is if your board has nobody with a background in tech, that is a skill gap that you need to address immediately. I shake my head in wonder at organisations who run multi-million dollar budgets and organisations who are spread right across the world and have a boardroom full of, no disrespect to the accountants and lawyers in the room, there's plenty of you here, but a, a board of accountants and lawyers. If you look at how we connect to each other, there is nothing we do. We can't even walk into our driveway and start our cars without relying on a whole bunch of technology to get where we are. And when that technology fails, it is catastrophic. It underpins everything we do now. And not having a technology person on your governance team and thinking strategically about the organisation, I think is absolutely careless it is flying blind and it is exposing yourselves to enormous risk. You need somebody with that skill set on your board now. I, I think it is, it is well past time. And now, you know, part of my role as a technology leader is to bring technology people up to scratch with their commercial knowledge to be effective at a board level and, and understand governance issues and be able to approach challenges in the boardroom from that perspective. But I, I think if there's nothing else that you take from this talk today, 
If you don't have somebody with tech experience on your board, you need to address that and, uh, and address it quickly. So yeah, I think that affects not only the way that we think about risk, but I think it leaves us open to serious strategy blunders. And I see that quite often in the clients that we work with, work with a bunch of clients that are scale up product development companies that are bringing new products to market very rapidly and commercializing innovations and new technology very rapidly. And where they've got a board without technology input, there was one I was working with just last week. They've got a board of, you know, that represents customer, that represents marketing, that represents finance, that represents operations. Yet a third of their workforce is technology people building a technology product and they don't have a CTO. They don't have someone from tech representing. So I think that's a serious strategy blunder. So let's dive into the mask example. So the Not Petya attack was in 2018. And as best that they can work out, it was people in Russia looking to destabilize organizations operating out of the Ukraine. So it was a very targeted sovereign attack. The impact that it had globally, though, was absolutely spectacular. So the um, article sort of starts with this. Um, it's, it's told through the perspective of a, an IT worker called Henrik Jensen, not his real name. And he's operating at, you know, the IT help desk in the gift shop downstairs at, at the Copenhagen head office of Maersk. And it starts with, you know, just a normal day, sun shining outside. He's got his coffee and in rolls, you know, the first person who's got a blank black screen on their laptop that read, uh, you know, repairing file system C. Uh, and then a couple of other people turn up and, you know, and their screens were also black with this red lettering. And, and that said, you know, oops, your important files are encrypted and demanding a payment of $300 worth of Bitcoin to decrypt them. What had happened, and the article goes deep into this and may get a little bit technical for some of you, uh, but it's worth persevering, is they exploited a vulnerability in a very common software package like Microsoft, something like that, that's widely used across many organizations. And this organization had been able to find and exploit a part of that software. Now, Mouse lost everything. It corrupted all of their files so spectacularly that it took everything offline. They had tech people running around the building, you know, running into meeting rooms in the middle of conferences, pulling, you know, plugs out of walls to try and disconnect from the network that was infecting everything. You know, your network is how all of your technology devices are linked. So, you know, Henrik talks about having to just go home. Like there was literally no work that they could do. They, they, there was a few managers who kept people in their offices and made them sit there staring at blank walls but everybody else effectively went home and he talks a little bit further into the article about, you know, he's sitting there eating his marmalade on toast and having his, you know, coffee in the morning and he gets a phone call and it's from the senior tech folk at Mouse and they say, get on a plane to London right now, pack your gear, get to London. And uh, what they had set up was a, a war room effectively, like a 24 seven war room in the London Mouse offices, two floors of the building, 200 people from Deloitte. Deloitte had been given a blank check to fix this problem and 400 people from across the IT operations at Maersk. Eventually what they found, and, and I might get this part of the story slightly wrong, but this is you know, why it's worth diving into the article. They found that the, one of the officers in Ghana had experienced an outage when the attack was taking place. So there was one image of the company's global systems on one disk 
in the Ghana office. And then they had this fantastic relay because the office folk from Ghana couldn't fly direct to London because of visas. So they had to fly somewhere else and meet somebody else and then fly somewhere else to get this one disc that had the ability to, to regenerate all of Maersk's systems on it. And from that, they were able to rebuild the organisation. But you can imagine, you know, they're a global shipping organisation. And part of the article talks about at one dock the next morning, the line of trucks trying to drop off cargo where they had no visibility over what the bookings were. They had no visibility over their customers and where those bookings needed to go and and how that was all managed. You know, they fell back into this kind of paper trail way of managing that. Can you just imagine for one second, and and I've told that story to the best of my recall, but when you're reading the article and, and having a think about it now, just imagine how you would feel sitting in the boardroom of Maersk while they were experiencing that. 80,000 people unable to work, like shut down whole opera organisations, businesses. Ultimately, that not pet your hack cost Maersk over $300 million. It's not a large sum when you think about the scale of the disruption and the amount of time they're offline for and the disruption to their brand and reputation and their customers and and lost merchandise that ended up in dockyards and shipping containers. That attack wasn't even targeted at Maersk. That was just some Russian state-based actors trying to mess with people in the Ukraine and organisations that operate in the Ukraine. And that was one of the suggestions by the journalists that maybe actually the people who launched this attack didn't really understand the extent and the damage that it would cause. But that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with every day, every day. It's happening all the time. You know, it takes a little bit of guts to say, but China and Russia have invested staggering amounts of energy and resource into cyber warfare. And it is a new Cold War. It is an arms race. It's about protecting yourself as best that you can, but also recognising that diligence and pragmatism and agility are your best defences in this brave new world. So just to recap what a, a cyber or a data breach can cause, you know, you're looking at staff, beneficiaries, donors, personally identifiable information, financial information, research and development, all of your secure information being at risk. You're talking about an enormous disruption to core operations and services to recover from a breach. So imagine having to down tools on everything else that's going on in your organisation just to fix this. Like the interruption is almost unfathomable. And you're exposing your organisation and its management to liability. You're talking about tarnish to brand org and reputation. Cyber attacks are nasty things if you're caught up in them. Not fun. So that's the table stakes, ladies, of the game that we're playing now. So get a technology person on your board. Be aware of data privacy and regulation. Uh, In Australia, we've got the Notifiable Data Breach Scheme, which requires you to disclose if you've lost personally identifiable information. That's worth a read and getting your head around if you're a director as part of your fiduciary duty. And the big global regulation is the GDPR, which is the European regulation for, where are my notes? 
the general data privacy regulation. That's pretty stringent and pretty full on. If you're compliant with the GDPR, you're pretty safe, you're pretty happy. So questions to ask at your next board meeting. This is a way to unpack where you're at currently. You wanna ask if we have the capacity and or capability to protect our staff, customers and stakeholders from malicious digital attacks. That'll open Pandora's box of, you know, what policies do you have in place? What work have you done to date? What assessments have you done to date? What insurance is, is in place? What your technology strategy is? What your approach is to patching and operations? And the second question you want to ask is, are we, are we ready to meet the increasingly stringent data privacy standards and regulations? So that's GDPR and in Australia, the Notifiable Data Breach Scheme. Now, here is your cheat sheet. Take a couple of notes on this one. I think there's five things that we can do in the boardroom. Being protected from cyber attacks is a bit like safe sex. You know, you wear a condom, use barrier protection. You know, you're not 100% safe. You're not going to be perfectly protected, but you're going to be a hell of a lot more protected than you would be if you were just running around without barrier protection at all. So do these five things and you'll be about 80% of the way there, or at least you won't be exposing yourself to opportunistic attacks and, and silly stuff that we don't, you know, we don't want to have to deal with. So this is the cheat sheet. Do we have multi-factor authentication? protecting our systems with personally identifiable information. Personally, it's a huge flag to me anywhere I go now, if I'm accessing important information and it's not protected by multi-factor authentication, that's a big red flag for me. Do you monitor your network environments? That's just a question for the CTO or the, the head technology person. You know, what, what network monitoring do we have in place? If they go, oh, oh you know, nothing. Whoa, okay. You need to know what your network traffic is doing so that you can keep an eye on it for when things go wrong. We need training for staff and employees. And this is one where we can have a massive impact almost immediately. I can't remember the last time in an organization I had cybersecurity training. I can't remember the last time we had a, a foe attack. One of my old clients, they would send phishing emails around the network deliberately about every three months to see what kind of response rate they got from a phishing email. For those who don't know, is an email that is looks innocuous, but it's actually designed to access some of your personal information. Might be your dog's name, your birthday, your mum's maiden name, all these sorts of things that tend to be used in passwords and usernames. So what that's a question for the boardroom. What training are we doing with staff and employees across the team around cybersecurity because it needs to be continual. This isn't a set and forget play. Remember, this is an arms race that we're in and things change. So we need to be diligent and consistent. On to number four on your cheat sheet is a vulnerability assessment. So this is where you find a nice, lovely, helpful security partner, most likely, and bring them in to assess your vulnerability. Don't let perfection stand in the way of good. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to tackle the major things to keep yourself safe. What you've learned from the vulnerability assessment and from the ongoing training for staff and employees and from managing your network environments after you've put in place multi-factor authentication is how does this affect our policies and our procedures and our insurance? That's really where, you know, the, the core and the genesis of how we protect ourselves should be documented on behalf of the organisation. So... To wrap up, get going, start the conversation. We need to be talking about this in the boardroom and we need to be building a sense of urgency across the whole organisation 
management at all levels across all functions that this is a responsibility for everybody. It's not just the IT folks that have to keep us safe here. Assess the current state and pick a framework. The National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is out of the States, has a great cybersecurity governance framework that helps you look at your organisation through a whole bunch of lenses. That'll give you a roadmap to safety. It'll highlight what you need to work on first and what you need to remediate first and get in place to be safe or to be as, as safe as, you know, as is pragmatic and realistic. Build a roadmap to resilience. Again, think about your cheat sheet. You know, two-factor authentication. Do you monitor your networks? Have you got ongoing training for the team? You know, social engineering and phishing are two of the most common attack avenues for hackers to access systems. What policies and procedures and insurance do you have in place? And do you have a disaster recovery process? And then prioritise and tackle these items until you feel comfortable that you are resilient. And don't let striving for perfection get in the way of good enough. How's that? That is awesome. Thank you, Hannah. So first question, how can small organisations maintain cybersecurity in a cost-effective way? Yeah, great question. I would look at the size and scale of the partners that you choose. So think about um, who you use for email. So what are the most common ones? Microsoft or Google? really like you know don't try to set up your own productivity tools workspaces that kind of thing I mean I'm a big fan of Apple products because they've got end-to-end encryption making sensible decisions around even message groups I mean I'm, I'm personally not a part of the Facebook community because I disagree ethically with their business so I don't use Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp and I, I try to stay off Instagram, but I do use Signal and Telegram for a lot of my conversations. Uh, and I was horrified at my last organisation when I found out that the board that I was reporting to primarily communicated via WhatsApp. I think that was appalling. Facebook is a known collaborator with the NSA. We know that they share every piece of data they own with the American government, so it can spy on citizens at home and abroad. Why would you want to share all of your sensitive board information and financials and tricky people issues that are happening in the organisation with a company like Facebook? You know, If you're going to use a messaging app as a, as a board member or even in a, a leadership group or even amongst your friends, Use an app like Signal or Telegram. You know, they've got end-to-end encryption. You can have secret chats and secret groups. Um, You can have like disappearing messages, you know, where you set that all the messages are are deleted within a week. You know, this is hypersensitive information for your organisation. So the board members need to be set up as a member of the organisation. They need, uh, I have a Greenpeace email address. I'm a member of the organisation and my board papers and, and the work that comes goes to my Greenpeace address. One of the other uh, people on the nominations committee with Helia and I, you know, we asked her to set up a separate email address so that confidential nominations committee information wasn't going to her work email and shared amongst her her employees network. So think about the systems that you use. Think about those companies' track records in terms of security and encryption. You know, Microsoft isn't my favourite, to be honest. They've built shitty software for a really long time that gets exploited all the time. My personal preference is the G Suite. That's what I use in my business. And I'm not saying that that's the right answer for everybody, but that's what that's the lens that you need to question when, you, when you're looking at 
what systems are we on? Is this the right partner for us? And if you want to get super hardcore about it, you know, there's systems like Proton Mail and there's um, productivity suites of tools that are set up for, you know, journalists and whistleblowers and they're a little bit more difficult to use. They don't have the usability that an Apple product does, um, but they're much, much more secure. Next one in the list. If Maersk had a tech person on their board, how might things have been different? Oh, I'm sure they did have a tech person on the board, actually. I haven't had a look at that. But they clearly didn't have the disaster recovery in place. And it addresses this in the article. The way that their disaster recovery was set up was under the assumption that not every instance of every part of the business would be taken offline at the same time. It was a bit of a perfect storm for them in terms of how that attack, the not Petya attack vector worked, that it it targeted, you know, what was the Achilles heel of their strategy. So what they did was, you know, rolled in the big guns. Basically, they wrote a blank check to Deloitte and said, get this sorted for us. Yeah, I'm not sure that they could have done anything different because uh, there's no glaring holes in their disaster recovery from my read of the situation. I certainly think they were relatively well protected and they still suffered, you know, a staggering loss of, of systems. Okay, the next one, and it's been asked by a couple of people in different ways, tech's very broad. What kind of tech experience is most relevant for the board? And then I think somebody else, yeah, what's the particular flavour of technologists would be most beneficial? An architect, cyber, what else? What, what's best? Look, you won't get a cyber security person, just putting that out there. They're rare as hen's teeth and they're extraordinarily expensive and very, very busy. So you'd be unlikely to find anyone who's actually been in cybersecurity, but someone who's got a depth of experience working in technology, delivering technology, overseeing technology teams. They've just been in the ecosystem in a way that gives them a depth of understanding and capability. So I think the answer to that question is much more about what's relevant for you as an organisation. And, and maybe I'm going to be slightly disparaging of all of my comrades and, and colleagues. Techie people can be a bit awkward, a bit nerdy, a bit weird. That's why I love them. That's why I play in the technology space so much. Finding tech people with the commercial skills to be useful at a governance level in your organisation is probably the more important thing to focus on. Tech people who have the understanding of commercial realities of you know profit and loss and optimization and risk and strategy that's what you want to think about so I would look at do you have a depth of experience in the tech landscape you know I'm not talking about you know someone who was a primary school teacher and then who became you know moved into software development three years ago I'm talking about somebody who spent 10 15 years building technology solutions overseeing technology solutions, delivering technology solutions in organisations. And if you can find someone with that calibre of experience who also has, you know, an understanding of risk and strategy and finance and people, then that's someone who's going to add a lot of value to your board. Um, and just to address one other question that came up along the way is, is around upskilling other board members. The way I do it is I share articles with the Greenpeace board. You know, I am the tech person on the Greenpeace board. And when something interesting is happening in the tech landscape, I share that with the rest of the board. 
after this talk, I'll share with you a, a PowerPoint deck from a cybersecurity workshop that we ran for non-executive directors and board members uh, and on the 29th of January with that, my company Midnight City. That talks about the regulatory frameworks. It talks about the vulnerability assessments. It talks about how you want to think about this stuff in a lot greater detail. So I'll share that with everybody here. When we ran that talk, a whole bunch of my colleagues from the Greenpeace board came along. So Dominique asks, uh, and it's connected to this question about training and upskilling, are there any short training videos available that we can circulate along with that other information as well? Uh, look, there'd be plenty. Uh, I'll, I'll happily have a little bit of a peruse. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like the YouTube channels that I enjoy watching. I wonder if there's one on cybersecurity where they're, you know, deconstructing and analysing recent attacks. And I'm sure someone's making funny videos about that somewhere that would be useful to all of us too. We'll have a bit of a look. Hell yeah. Can I offer, um, on one of my boards, uh, we get all the directors to do regular short online cybersecurity video watching things and then a, t a short test, um, so two a month. And the company, it's a bit daggy and, you know, it's American, but it's not bad. Security shift. I can't recall how much the service costs, but I actually think they try and make it funny. So you do actually find it memorable. Great. Could you send that to me, Tanya, and I'll include that in the follow-up email. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. Hannah, you talked about the sorts of people that you should get in the boardroom. We've got a couple of questions here, one from Janice and from Fiona, basically the same. How do we get them? How do we attract someone with a tech background? And once we've attracted them, how do we select the right one? And once we've attracted them, how do we select the right one? I think advertising in a broad range of channels is important. I think go to the places where tech people gather. I don't know if anyone's active in the meetup scene. So like advertising in the right spot, connecting with the humans, looking at their skills and expertise. But, you know, I would say as the chair of the nominations committee at Greenpeace, that the other major, major factor to think about is culture. You know, are their values aligned to your organisational values? Uh, you know, are they going to be engaged? Are they going to add, are they going to contribute something that's, diverse and is different to what the voices you've already got in the boardroom is their contribution going to be meaningful that would be what I think is the most important thing to evaluate because everyone's going to go about this different and there's no right way to be secure uh, in your in your technology stack so having somebody who you want to work with in those potentially very difficult situations the, the culture fit for me is probably the most important part I'm going to try and sneak in two more, Hannah. Um, Marg, this is your question about board members protecting information they receive. I can't see you, but if you're around, yep, you're off mute. If you can ask your question. Okay. So we receive information individually. Many of us get it on computers, even more on this thing. How do we know that what we've got, our systems are secure? So the information we receive, how do I know that my AVG virus protector free on my mobile is safe? What should I be doing as a board member to ensure that my own systems, computer and phone, are safe for the information I receive and also that the information I receive doesn't infect my own information and systems. I personally don't use um, antivirus or, or, or those kinds of things, but I do take very pragmatic steps. So I have a passcode lock on my phone and I would encourage everybody to, to have similar. 
the most important thing that I did in the last five years towards my own personal security was to start using a password manager. They're a real pain in the butt. I won't lie. I won't sugarcoat it for you. They're, and like I took two days of my life to set up my password manager in the first instance and then run through everything that I have a username and password for and change them all to hard to break passwords. The password managers to use, there's only two. LastPass is the one I use and I pay for that because I, I think, you know, it's 50 bucks a year or whatever. Like I, I don't want that service for free because, you know, you're getting charged somewhere along the lines. And if it's free to you, then they're selling your data to somebody else. And I don't really want my passwords and usernames sold to somebody else. And uh, OnePass is the other one. So LastPass and OnePass. Total nightmare. Like you want to set aside a day of your life to set them up. But once you have them in place, you have done as much as you should be expected to do to secure your data and your access. Um, if you really want to have a little bit of fun, and this actually went around the board at Greenpeace in the last two weeks, jump on Have I Been Pwned? P-W-N-E-D. That is a, a website that records all of the data hacks and privacy breaches that have happened ever. And you can register on there and they will actually send you a, a, an SMS or an email when there's been a breach that affects you so that you find out straight away and you can go and change your username and password. Because we know that these databases of usernames and passwords get hacked, they end up on the dark web and people buy them to try and exploit identity theft or fraud or ransomware attacks to get money out of people. So have I been pwned? P-W-N-E-D. Uh, Hillary, maybe we can pop that in the in the send out as well. Is also something to use. But for me, the, the password manager is, is the key. Everybody should use one, particularly if we're operating in, you know, roles like non-executive board director and such. We, we do have important information that is super, super critical to keep private. So we should all be using a password manager. Hannah, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing um, in the podcast initially and for sharing here today and for continuing to share straight after this with the rest of the questions that have been asked as well. So that is just magnificent. Thank you so much. Again, if you could just join me in thanking Hannah for sharing all her incredible wisdom. Thank you all for being here today and part of this event. Um, and you will hear from me soon about the next one or, of course, on the podcast. So if you're not subscribed, I encourage you to do so. Fabulous. Thank you, folks. Thank you for being here today and see you all soon. Um, but, Hannah, if you can stay on the line. Thanks, folks. Hi, folks. It's Helia. Yes, that's right. There were just way too many questions for us to deal with in this one episode. So uh, we're going to release a special bonus episode where Hannah and I go through all of the questions that were asked at this event today uh, and just do the Q&A. So that will be released, I don't know, it might be later today, it might be tomorrow, it might be next week. You'll just have to make sure you subscribe to find out because we haven't quite decided yet. But yeah, tune in. So yeah, see you over at that episode. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? 
Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.